One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly evening to you. It's Sunday evening. It is Sunday evening, and it does feel uh, somewhat goodlier than Saturday evening does, didn't it? It does a bit, and I wonder why. Is that because Manchester City have just spanked Chelsea (laughs) 6-0? I mean... I think it feels like a very big part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, of course, revelling in a rival getting thrashed. It has bumped us up a league place in the table as well. Right. For the second week in succession, we owe it to another team to put us up a a place in the league, because obviously Bournemouth... Uh, battered them whenever that was, and we jumped above them then. Mm. And the same thing has happened again. Their yeah. goal has been cancelled out. So we're into into fifth now. That's automatic Europa League qualification. Hurrah! Hurrah! That saves us some uh, some hassle during the summer. I think, would it be remiss of us to not um, look at Twitter right now and just have a quick scroll through the... Sorry, out hashtag. Oh, would, would, that's a should great we? idea. That's a great idea. I mean, I have been texting my brother, the Chelsea fan, in the last few minutes. Have you just texted it's... him like six texts this evening? Ha 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 ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually texted him just saying like, "What's?" Because I was sort of, I was like, "Can you get me any screen grabs from your Chelsea fan WhatsApp group?" Because right. I love. You know, I love this stuff. I yeah, want to yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. how angry they all are. But he won't share it with me, annoyingly. He Aww. does say he thinks half of Chelsea fans he knows want Sarri to go. Right. Um, he thinks it's about 50%. Okay. Uh, and there's a lot of activity happening on that hashtag right There now. is. There is. Here's one. If you have a sober mind, you can't blame the players. This total embarrassment, the manager has to give answers. Will not watch a Chelsea match until he is sacked. Until with two L's. I like this one. This this guy's username is Sarri Out, so he's very dedicated to the mm. cause. And he actually says, even the owner needs to go. <laughs> As for Sarri, he isn't the manager who could take us further. I love that. Chelsea fans want Abramovich out, the guy who saved their club from basically going out of business and brought them all their success. Abramovich out. I, I was l- not expecting that. That is good. That is good. I mean, how do you get an owner out? You know, I, I don't understand the rationale, but still, that's funny. After that match, I don't want to see that clown step foot into Stamford Bridge. Hashtag Sarri out. <laughs> it's so great. I oh, mean, this here's one's a great totally one. Big no. Go on, oh, go on. you go. You no, go. no. Okay. Sarri was shining teeth like a fool when he won first leg, but now won't even shake Pep. Sore loser. Hashtag Sarri out. That one brought you courtesy of Google Translate. It feels <laughs> like. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. You know, it's some of what I'm reading is very 
familiar to me as an Arsenal fan, you know, in recent seasons gone by. Tony Bignall, Sarri out, worst ever result in our Premier League history, tactically terrible, and the manager completely to blame with his sheer arrogance and stubbornness. Sack him tonight and get someone in to save our season. I mean, probably read Arsenal fans saying that 12 months ago. But yeah. it is interesting, isn't it? You know, it's the heaviest ever defeat in the Premier League, 6-0. They haven't lost like that since, I think, 1991 or possibly even earlier. And uh, I just have a sort of cathartic joy of sort of my brother now experiencing the humiliation of that kind of <laughs> defeat, which I've had to deal with for years. Yes. You know? and he, he texted me saying, I'm finding this game difficult to watch. I want it to end. And I was like, oh. you get used to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, enough times <laughs> it happens. Uh, here's a final one. For the next six years, you are not allowed to coach any team in the United Kingdom. Please deport <laughs> this idiot immediately. Hashtag Sarri out. <laughs> oh, man. I, it's, it's, it's endlessly entertaining. Uh, if you, I mean, you know. Well, it's you happening to, to someone guy, else. Exactly. It's happening to someone else. It's happening to someone else. That's how I feel about Mike Dean, by the way. I saw your tweet saying, oh, I'm not having this rebranding of Mike Dean as national treasure. And I agree with you. What the But when fuck? he's happening to someone else, yeah. I, I can take pleasure from that. I kind of see that, but I, you know, I find it hard to to get into this whole, oh, look at Mike Dean with his flourishes and his 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 uh, theatric uh, pointing to the spot and everything else. Yeah. It's Did like, you see with the match ball at the end? No, I, I switched off at that point. Oh, right. Well, obviously, Sergio Aguero was due to get the match oh, ball. Oh, I know so what he did. Can I guess? Can I guess yeah. what he did? Okay, Mike Dean took the match ball and he stuffed it up his shirt and then ran over to Sergio Aguero and he he very quickly fashioned a nest made out of like tracksuit tops and he crouched down and like a kind of benevolent chicken he gave birth to the match ball to give it to Sergio Aguero you're eerily close so <laughs> <laughs> First of all, he stood still and made Sergio Aguero come to him. Oh, come my on, this God, is no Dean. way. He, he, you know, he bends to no man. And he did stuff the match ball up his shirt. Oh, no. But bizarrely, not in his front, like he was pregnant, but in his back. Like so it was a sp- tumour. Like it was a tumour or some sort of gigantic poo. And he <laughs> then sort of laid the ball... <laughs> This curious egg and gave it to Aguero and Sky captured it all. That's what he wanted, right? That's what he wanted and that's what he got. Yeah. The man knows how to work a crowd, I guess. (laughs) I can't wait for the retirement tour. Selling out stadia all over this country. Wow. I was in the middle of a mouthful of beer there when you were explaining that to me, (laughs) and it nearly went all over my microphone, actually. Thank goodness. I hate to damage that expensive. (laughs) So we're grateful, really, to to Chelsea, to Manchester City. For lightening the mood. Mike Dean. For massively lightening the mood, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And making me feel a little bit better, I suppose, about... A, our top four chances, although I think, they, you know, this still looks tricky. But B, maybe the prospects of coming up against Chelsea in the Europa League. Yeah, but also what we did last week against Manchester City, where I think, despite the fact everyone would admit we were uh, beaten by the better team, we weren't handed our arses the way Chelsea were. No. But then no, Bournemouth also have... did that, didn't they? Bournemouth did that a couple of weeks ago. So where's yeah. the line? Where is the line? They look vulnerable. But 
you know, they managed to have a worse opening 10 minutes there than us, I think. Mm. Which is pr- pretty impressive. That is impressive. That is impressive. So, look, let's move on to us because uh, mm. the win yesterday played its part, small part, of course, in us moving up a place in the table to fifth. Uh, Manchester City, of course, were the main uh, the main reason for, for us being there. But uh, we had a, a 2-1 win against Huddersfield yesterday. Our first win away from home since November. And... <sighs> You know, I have to say, after watching the game and sitting through the game and not particularly enjoying it, I, I, I voiced that opinion on Twitter that I wasn't necessarily enjoying the football we were playing at the moment under Unai Emery, with the, mm. with the caveat, of course, that I understand we've got players absent through injury, there are players absent through uh, illness in the, uh, in, in the uh, what, what game do we just play, Huddersfield? Uh, I, you know, lots of mitigating factors. You know, I, I'm aware of all those factors. I'm still not necessarily enjoying the football that we're playing. I'm not. I'm not sure it's a crime to say that, but uh, a lot of people agreed with me. A lot of people said uh, or reacted in a way that it was as if I was going to kill their puppy or something. Um, it was quite strange. But there you go. What I mean, was what was your happens, feeling? Uh, well, you know, don't it always seem to go? But you don't know what you got till it's gone. Put the push finger out. Got Unai Emery in. Um, no, it's, it, I, uh, I was wondering how you're going to get a, a parking lot in there, but fair yeah, play. Yeah, no, no, good, no, I come um, I, for, for, To reassure you, let me tell you, whatever stance you take, whether it's, you know, positive, negative, circumspect, judicious, balanced, you will get shouted at by some people. That's the way it is. That's Twitter uh, for you, yeah. Particularly at the moment, that's Twitter, yeah. Um, I didn't... Uh, what's, I didn't really enjoy the game, no. It wasn't a very entertaining game. And I think particularly for Arsenal fans, you know, we spent a lot of the game without the ball um, and it wasn't particularly pretty. But I enjoyed the win. I enjoyed... The three points. Actually, I think the thing I was most frustrated about coming out of the game was failing to keep a clean sheet. Yeah. It was so horribly predictable. The more they talked about how, like, every Huddersfield striker hadn't scored for, like, 200 years, it became (laughs) a matter of, like... I mean, to be fair, none of them did. They didn't have to. We did it for them. Yeah. But it became a matter of, like, when and how they would eventually get their goal. They were to come in stoppage time, you know. I know, I know, I know. It was like I was almost sort of preparing the Arsenal kept their first clean sheet away from home this season. I'd written it for ESPN. I'd written it and the player ratings. I was like, Bernd Leno will be mightily relieved to have finally secured a clean sheet away from home. (laughs) Delete, delete, delete. It's my fault. I wrote it down. Oh, my goodness. I mean, look, I, I get you. I completely get you. And on the commentary, they were saying, here comes De Poitre. He, he comes on. He's had, yeah. had 9,000 attempts on goal this season. <laughs> and not one of them has even come close to being a goal. In fact, most of them, 300 of them have gone out of the stadium. They've been that bad. And then they were yeah. talking about whoever the other striker is that wasn't playing. Uh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But it was the same thing. Yes, he's had 6,000 attempts on goal this season. And he hasn't scored either. Um, I know. It was just like, oh, come on. As De Poitra trundled on and they said something like that on the television or the stream that I was watching, I was like, here we go. Hat-trick incoming. Uh, but yeah, it was just annoying. You know, I sort of thought... That actually, for the most part, although we didn't play particularly well, I thought 
the sort of one-on-one defending, particularly in and around the penalty box, I mean, mainly from Lauren Koscielny, to be honest, was pretty good. Almost and I, entirely from Lauren Koscielny. Almost entirely from Lauren Koscielny. And I think, you know, uh, and to be fair, it, was, it wasn't the, the most severe test that you'll face in the Premier League. But I thought, let's get that clean sheet. Because, you know, we had the one against Chelsea and then we had all these injuries and setbacks. Mm. Uh, defence got disrupted and I do think with defences you know you do sometimes see a bit of momentum build up and you see that with unbeaten runs too and I thought it'd be great you know for the confidence of the defenders to get that clean sheet and to not get it I was yeah I was pretty pissed off about that yeah that was that was annoying that was annoying but to be fair to Huddersfield they did have moments where they were a little bit dangerous particularly in about the last 20 minutes of the game Koscielny made an incredible uh, clearance when Leno pushed a save out right in front of him and I think True. it would have been a tap in there was a guy at the back post I think the dude took a shot and it came to the back post yeah. and the other guy just put it wide cool, probably yeah and, and then De Poitra put one like inches inches wide so as and ever Montreal off the line Monre- well. exactly exactly so you know you can talk about how it was a comfortable win and they didn't really threaten us that much, except, you know, they kind of did a bit. Mm. You know, it wasn't as comfortable as people made out. And it's it's one of the hallmarks and one of the trademarks of how we play under Unai Emery. The opposition, whether they're Manchester City, whether they're Manchester United, whether they're Huddersfield, or whether they're a team full of strikers who haven't scored in 12,000 attempts on goal... They will. They will have chances. You know. They. They yeah. will always have chances. Well, uh, everybody does against us. It feels like that at the mm. moment, anyway. And I suppose, to be honest, in terms of it being a little bit uncomfortable, just in that last thirty seconds, or maybe closer than you would expect or anticipate. You know, maybe you have to also look at what happened at the other end of the pitch. We know we've got substandard defenders. We know that we're going to be in trouble at the back at the moment. But going forward, you know, we probably, I think, could have been more clinical and maybe established greater dominance before they came back. Yeah, to be fair, there were moments that we should have made more of uh, in in the opposition half, for sure. You know, there were final balls that never got to Lacazette. Mkhitaryan, you might remember, slipped over. Mm. Uh, Alex Iwobi had a couple of moments where he might have found a better ball. Kolasinac, similarly. uh, Iwobi set up a great chance for Lacazette quite early on in the game, and he took a heavy touch and got tackled. I think that was before we opened the scoring. So, you know, there were moments at the other end, and it wasn't all bad from Arsenal, but I just found the, the fact that we went to Huddersfield and our our plan was to kind of sit off and hit them on the break. I found that a little hard to take. Um, well, let's talk about the starting lineup okay. then and, and the system that we played. So, what did you what did you make of the eleven Unai picked? Maybe the best eleven he could have picked, given how many people were absent through illness and injury. Obama Yang yeah. was out. Mesut Ozil was out through illness. <laughs> Not many people believe Mesut Ozil is out through illness, uh, judging by my Twitter timeline anyway. Uh, well, it's the boy who cried flu, isn't it? Yeah. But I think this time it seems to be the case. If, if there are yeah. other players who we know have been ill in the week, it's sort of more credible, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I just thought it amusing that so many people were like, yeah, away game, up north, Mesut Ozil, ill, is it? Hmm? Yeah, I see. Hmm. All right, then, we'll just move on. Uh, but, you know, we'd know, we'd know Xhaka, we'd know Ramsey, we'd know Aubameyang, we'd know Ozil. Uh, who else is missing? Uh, You've I, got the long-term guys, Bellerin, Socrates, yeah. you know, obviously. Holding Welbeck, yeah. So, you know, in, in those circumstances, I'm not sure what else he really could have done. I, I, I guess I wonder, could he have just played a back four? 
Mm, you know, he could have done and and brought. Uh, uh, you know, uh, either another midfielder in, so either an El Nenny or maybe even a, a even Suarez. Suarez. Yeah, you know. Um, but look, I, I can understand why if he doesn't feel Suarez is ready to start away from home. You know, it, it, I'm not necessarily sure it was the the starting lineup that was my issue. I think it was just the way we were the way we were set up and the way that the the team was instructed to play. Uh, Huddersfield had a lot of the ball. We we just did not control the game in any significant way for any period of time. You know, they, they had more possession. They had more passes. They played the game more in our half than we did in their half. Mm. Uh, I think we were effective going forward when we broke, and we broke quite well at times, but... You know, when you're playing a team like Huddersfield, who are bottom of the league, they've only won twice all season. They haven't scored in, like, what, 14 millennia? Uh, you know, they've had 22,000 attempts on goal and haven't You know, it just felt a little unambitious. And I, you know, yeah. I, I get it. I get all the the stuff about the players we have missing and everything else, but we're, we're Arsenal, you know? I just expect us to to be in control of games against teams like this? It's a, it's a really tricky one. I found myself after the game trying to work out, was this the plan or was this just a bad performance? Do you know what I mean? Uh, because it, there is a logic to what Emery did, I suppose, and that he played three centre-halves and he thought, I'll, I'll pack that area. I don't think Huddersfield will score. You know, if we go with Lacazette, Iwobi and Mkhitaryan and the wing-backs, we've got outlets on the break and we'll hurt them. And it... You know, you sort of can't argue with that to an extent. It did work, as as ugly as it might have been. Functionally, it worked. But everyone who was at the game, and I wasn't there, but all the journalists who were were talking about how animated and unhappy Unai Emery looked yeah. on, on the touchline. Yeah. Um, I noticed that, that even on TV. I think in the second half, after he brought El Nenny on, there was a moment where we had a they had a throw in, and he was telling El Nenny to push up to a player... Uh, nearer the halfway line, and El Nenny dropped off. And even on TV, you could see him go bananas at yeah. what was going on. He was really unhappy. And then I, I sort of was waiting for the press conference, thinking, OK, this is going to be interesting. You know, maybe we'll find out sort of what his issue was. And he said, I, I'm happy with the performance. I'm happy with the commitment of the players. I mean, it's one of those where you desperately wish that he either had a translator there or, you know, was just a bit further along in his development with English because I would love to know what it was that was making him so unhappy because I think then you could sort of unpick, did he really go there and think, I'm going to just let Huddersfield have the ball and hurt them when we can? Or was the, were they not doing what he wanted? And to me, the substitution of Lucas Torreira, for example, in the second half, a lot of people looked to that as, oh, he's being rested, fresh legs. To me, that spoke to Emery not being content with the way we were controlled in the middle of the pitch. Um, and, and I think, you know, we did struggle in, in that area. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I do wonder what putting El Nenny, El Nenny on does for that, really, though. Um, yeah. I know he's a safe player and he'll, he'll circulate the ball quite well, but I'm not sure that was our issue. I'm not sure, like, sticking on one midfielder for another was going to solve the problems that we had in terms of controlling the game or or dominating possession in any way. Uh, mm. I, d I don't know. It, you know, it just feels to me sometimes like Emery's conservatism, his cautiousness plays into the, the way that the players approach the game. Um, it's, it, yeah. I mean, you know, a man once said it's 
once you've had caviar, it's difficult to go back to sausages. Mm. Um, And and I think the problem is that what Emery's got is uh, sausages available to him at the moment. Right. And you can't make caviar out of sausages. Try though you might, a sausage won't lay eggs. That's true. That is very true. And if it does, that's the wrong kind of sausage you've got in your mouth. My friend's daughter asked him the other day if sausages were pig's eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought it was an interesting idea. But no, what I mean is that with what he's got available to him, I can understand all the decisions. Like, for example, three centre-halves, I think it's partly because if he doesn't play three centre-halves, he's got most likely Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles on opposite sides at full-back. And I think with some justification, he probably worries about those two players. Uh-huh. As, as yeah, that's true. So, it's, so he goes with the three centre-halves. Up top, he's got Lacazette, but he knows that, you know, good striker though he is, he's about holding the ball up, bringing others into play. So he wants to get people either side of him who can then feed the wing-backs. You go with Iwobi and Mkhitaryan. And then you've only got really two left for the middle of the park. Mm. And In terms of going with the wing-backs, they set up the two goals. You know, they, they did their job going forward, certainly. That is true, actually. That's true. Uh, Kolasinac was absolutely terrible with the ball for the most part throughout that game. Ended with something like 55% pass completion. And he is quite often well below his teammates when it comes to pass completion. It's a really weak part of his game. It, It is. He's a really odd footballer because... In that final third, running onto the ball, pulling it back, he's incredibly effective. There's no way you can dispute that. But mm. when inside his own half, he seems to lack agility. He, he can seem to lack technique. And I actually went and looked at his pass map because I was like, his numbers are always so bad on the passing front. I wondered, like, is it a function of his position? Is it because, you know the majority of these passes are sort of crosses into the penalty box where if they get cut out or intercepted, you know, that goes down as a misplaced pass and it's not his fault. But that's not the case. I mean, you know, his passes are often fairly short, simple passes into, say, the central midfielders that don't find their targets. And I, for point of comparison, went and looked at someone like Andy Robertson at Liverpool and he's delivering like 85, 90% passing completion and he's getting forward just as much as Kolasinac. Yeah, yeah, it is... It is a real weakness in his game, and it has been for, for some time. And what he gives you in the final third is often very good, but uh, it's simple possession where he, he struggles, I think. And, you know, Huddersfield, to their credit, they worked hard. They pressed us high. Right up until the 90th minute, they were pressing us high up the pitch, and we found yeah. it. You know, th- did you notice, I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed this, the number of times that an Arsenal player had the ball, where often with a dead ball, and there was nobody to pass it to. A number yeah. of free kicks where, let's say, normally someone would drop deep. And I don't know if it was just because Huddersfield cut off the, the passing lanes or if we didn't really move as well as we should have towards uh, the man with the ball. But it happened a number of times throughout the game where we had a free kick. You look to take it short. There's nobody there. And we hit it long or we hit it cross field or something like that. But the short passes into uh, midfield were not there. No, and I think consequently Leno and the centre-halves were going longer, much more Mm. than they ordinarily would. Mustafi went long quite a few times in the game and we didn't really have the players to necessarily meet those long balls. Yeah, that was interesting. I think a lot of that is down to Huddersfield. They sometimes had four or five players, you know, push right up on our defence and... uh, 
I mean, I haven't really seen them this season, but that, I, I thought they had that kind of new manager bouncy yeah. look about them. You know, they had a new coach, had a first week with a new coach. They seemed a bit energised. It was a big game for them. I think they made it difficult for us, but I think you're right in saying we didn't necessarily mm. show... Mm, we didn't really apply ourselves properly to kind of get around those problems. Yeah, yeah. I, I just sort of thought that, you know, given the fact that Huddersfield are pressing high and we have been a team supposedly who want to play the ball out from the back, that this is the kind of stuff that Unai Emery would work on in training. So how do you play your way out from a high press? Surely that is one of the drills that they must do all the time. If you tell the world that you're a team that wants to pass the ball out from the back, you want to play it short, you want to use your goalkeeper to start moves from the back, you've got to expect that other teams are going to try and counter that by pressing you high up the pitch. So Mm. part and parcel of being able to play that way must be the ability to play through it or to find ways around that kind of press. So I was a little surprised at how just ordinary we looked in that regard. And Gunduzi did that like really well at Manchester City a week ago. Uh, I suppose inconsistency is something that comes with the territory with a young player. But it, yeah, it almost felt like a positional thing, you know, that we weren't dropping into those spaces and and taking the balls off the centre halves. Mm. And then when we went long, you know, it didn't prove that effective. What I did think we were good at was. I thought we were good in transition. It's something that I saw Alex Awobi talking about in an interview this week, you know, Emery works on our play in transition. And I thought when Mkhitaryan and Awobi and Lacazette broke, particularly, actually in both halves, to be fair, uh, they were dangerous, you know, they looked very dangerous every time. Yeah, I thought, you know, the first half in particular, Mkhitaryan was bright, Iwobi was bright. I think Iwobi should have had two goals. I'm not sure he was offside for that, no, uh, I'm that not, one. I'm not sure he was. I don't think he was. Um, so let's interesting go on. if he knew. I just found it interesting because I suspect he sort of knew. It's interesting how well a player can finish under those circumstances. I've never it? seen him hit a ball yeah. like that, the way he smashed that one in, even though it was offside. Maybe it was a consequence of the flag going up and him knowing that he was yeah. he was offside, but he really finished that very well. It should have been I, a goal, I think. Yeah, and, and I think it's it kind of shows that his finishing, which I'm sure we'll come on to, is you know, as much a psychological thing as anything else. Actually, when he does tend to put his foot through things, and he has done it a few times in an Arsenal shirt, it's pretty decent. Mm. But it's when he has time and maybe goes for placement more that he, he tends to suffer. But obviously, he did get a goal on the day. He did get a goal. Kolasinac down the down the left-hand side, high cross. Look, it wasn't the prettiest goal you'll ever see, but I think you've got to give Awobi credit for getting the ball on target. You know, when a ball comes across like that and you're hitting it on the volley, you know, it can go anywhere. It can go I mean, anywhere. Can Not just... Ball, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not just with Awobi, but, you know, any player, when the ball comes across like that, it is liable to go anywhere. So getting it on target, he got the look he deserved, I think. Yeah, he did. I, I agree that sort of, you know, I, I I suspect the goalkeeper would have saved it if it, if it hadn't been deflected, but um, he made a decent enough contact with it and put it in the right direction. It's one of those where you look at it and you think, is this going to be his goal or an own goal? But I think it's definitely his goal. Yeah, for sure. I think he deserves that. And the second goal, Maitland-Niles. Uh, good work again from Mkhitaryan, uh, who held the ball up well, played mm-hmm. it to Maitland-Niles. Great cross from Maitland-Niles. And uh, Alex Lacazette there to to apply the finish from close range. Um, what did you make of... Yeah, good cross. What did you make of Maitland-Niles? Yesterday, I thought I, was, I, I oh, you find go, him you confusing. 
in a way. He's so confusing. He's such a weird footballer. It's a bit like Kalasinac, like some really good moments and then others where you're like, I can't believe you've done that. That You know, just simple, simple misplaced passes that are clearly well within his technical capacity. Yeah. Uh, it's like... It's like he just... His brain just sort of disappears for a minute. I mean, we've seen it before from someone like Granit Xhaka, uh, you know, a really technically competent player who will just have these sort of brain farts. Mm. And that's what it feels like with Maitland-Niles. But I would say, actually, as much stick as Xhaka gets, I know he's older and more experienced, but I think it's almost less infrequent with him. With Maitland-Niles, it feels every time I see him play, you get this mix of some really promising moments and then somewhat that are just, I mean... I actually can't think of a word. They are so bizarre. Yeah, they're weird. They're weird because you can see he is a player who's got plenty of technical ability. He's got good pace. He's strong. He's, uh, you know, his his movement is really good, particularly down the, uh, the right-hand side in the final mm-hmm. third. And those moments kind of cloud the other stuff that he does and you can understand why that happens you know he's not a right back but he made six out of eight tackles yesterday and 12 ball recoveries you know one of them was when he gave the ball away really easily he was just playing a pass back to Mustafi and he he underhit it and I think I can't remember who it was uh took the ball on and he, he chased it down and got the ball back um you know a great assist a great ball for the uh, for the goal for, for Lacazette. So, you know, it is a, a mixed bag, I think you would say. Um, I do wonder if it's a if it's a thing in the modern world that we, when it, when it is a mixed bag, the focus tends to be on the, the bad stuff rather than the good stuff. Because there was some good stuff from Maitland-Niles yesterday. He wasn't brilliant and nobody's saying that he is the answer to our right-back problems or anything like that. But it wasn't... All bad from him. No, I, th- I actually like a lot of what he does as a wing back. You know, I like that he's not just a player who runs in one direction. He doesn't just stick to the byline. He actually will drive in field and kind of, you know, almost become an auxiliary advanced midfielder in that way. And you can see that his versatility plays into his capacity to do that. Um, I also think his mistakes that we saw in this game aren't really to do with his position. You know, I think they were so simple almost, that, mm. you know, he'd, be, he'd make those anywhere on the pitch. And actually, they might be even more damaging if he's playing as a kind of central midfield player. Um, I, I do think you're right. There was a lot that was positive. There was also a lot that was negative. And I think a couple of things. First of all, I think there's an assumption that with young players that these moments will just evaporate and disappear. I really hope that's true for Maitland-Niles, but it isn't always true. You know, there are some players mm. who struggle with concentration or focus and I hope that's not going to be him because that will stop you making it at the top level Um, and you know there are loads of players lower down the leagues who've got plenty of skill but not quite the right mentality or psychological dimension so it's as important as anything else and I hope he gets over it because like you say there are some really really positive attributes there to work with Um, and I still think he's probably the best bet. You know, we've talked about right back as a problem position. I think he's uh, certainly in this system. I think he's the best bet. Well, look, Unai Emery uh, has picked him ahead of Licksteiner, and mm. I think that tells you that he wants to give Maitland Niles a chance. 
in this position mm. because we don't have Bellerin for the rest of the season. We have got Licksteiner who can do a job, a functional job probably uh, in some games, but he wants to play a particular type of player uh, at right back or right wing back. And, uh, you know, I think he's a, a player who's still really, really early in his career. Let's not forget Maitland-Niles playing what? What's he played? Maybe 30 games for Arsenal? If that. Yeah. If that. You know, so there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be things that he does and things that he learns from. And it's about learning from those things. If he learns from the mistakes that he makes. And I, I you know what I think it is more than anything else? It's a concentration issue rather yeah. than a technical issue. And I do think he needs to, to work on that side of his game. Uh, and if he does, then he can cut those mistakes out and be a really effective player for us. Um, what, what's interesting to me is I've, I've seen him say he wants to be a winger. And a couple of times in the game against Huddersfield, he got into the final third and didn't really show much of what a winger would do in terms of how he tried to get past the opponent. It was... Uh, he lost the ball a bit too easily there, so I, I'm not I'm not sure quite what he is yet, you know, or what he's going to be. But while he's being asked to do a job there, uh, you know, I think we I think he needs a bit more leeway from fans at this moment in time. I, I have a question on this, which we can come to in yeah, we'll come back to that in, in part two. So uh, so that was uh, two nil. I think I mean. Is there is there much else to talk about? Really, we've sort of gone about the game in a bit of a roundabout fashion, but we've covered most things off. I suspect. I think so. I think so. I mean, the goal they conceded was—I uh, don't know what to say about that goal. That we haven't already <laughs> said it. You know, it was just—you no. know—but it I mean, was. That, go know, on. It was just, just surreal. It was one of those ways. I thought the the Huddersfield player had tapped it in at first. No, it was uh, Kolasinac. He just Kolasinac kicked it in. Is, I know. That's why he never touches the ball with his right foot. That's what happens when he does. Mm, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it was... Let's uh, let's put aside our issues or concerns with with style of play and, and everything else. We needed to win because United had won against uh, Fulham. They'd won 3-0. So it was really important that we won the game. So first and foremost, we had to take three points. We did that away from home without... Bellerin, without Socrates, without Rob Holding, without Aubameyang, without Ozil, without Ramsey, without Welbeck, uh, without Xhaka, you know, all of whom you would say are, are pretty important players uh, mm. for Arsenal under Unai Emery and, and this season. So, you know, given the, given the state of the squad and the team that he had to pick and the options available to him, you looked at that bench and you were like, ooh, <laughs> if we need something from this game, there's not a lot there. So, yeah. you know, in mitigation, I think we had to do a job. We did the job. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't much fun. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't great to look at. It does feed into concerns that I have generally about how we play uh, under Unai Emery. But in complete isolation, three points. Three points, exactly. A win is a win. Uh, and I know what you mean about the style and I think it's interesting because I think there were probably periods in the last few years where Arsenal fans, or a portion of Arsenal fans, probably felt very ready to sacrifice style 
for results. And I think when you experience actually a period without playing particularly fun or attractive football, maybe it makes you reevaluate that and how important it is to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what, what do you think of the idea that it doesn't matter how you play, it's what results you achieve? Because I, I'm, I think it's important for a team or for a club to, to have a, a style of play and to try and be attractive. I know sometimes you can't be. And if you have to be functional and win a game, by all means, go ahead and do that. But I think from the point of view of the spectator experience, whether you're in the ground, whether you're going home and away, or whether you're just watching on television or whatever it is, I think having a style which you try and achieve in most games is important because you can buy into that as a fan. You can see what your team is trying to do and how they're trying to do it. It can be exciting. It's not always going to work, but when it comes off, it's amazing. You know, you think about some of the, the, the goals that we scored in the last years of Wenger's reign where we were never challengers for the title, but you think about the Wilshire goal against Norwich, the Rosicki goal could have been against Sunderland. You know, some of these incredible goals that we scored, team goals, which sort of epitomized the kind of football Wenger wanted us to play. Whether we always played it or not is another question. But we, when those things happened, everyone was like, oh my God, that's just, that's amazing. Whether you were Wenger in, Wenger out, whatever you were, when those moments happen in a game where it comes together, it, it's you put it aside, whatever else you're thinking, you kind of put it aside. So I feel like a style of play is important for a team. And anecdotally, and completely anecdotally, you know, based on some of the replies I got to the tweet I put out and some comments I've got, on the website over the last day or so, you know, people were like, oh yeah, I kind of switched off or it was on in the background or I turned off to watch another game or somebody said, I, I switched off at halftime to watch Silent Witness. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. He's quite good at the moment, apparently. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't watch it. I don't watch it either, but my grandma says it's absolutely gripping. Well, look, there you go. If your grandmother says it's absolutely gripping, uh, who am I to to argue with that? But, you know, that's the kind of response that this kind of football will generate. You know, and it is important when you're trying to sell tickets, when you're trying to sell sponsorships and commercial deals, you know, to, to be able to sell something exciting and invigorating to people. And I realize, again, I'm, I'm going to give you all the caveats about it's his first season. We haven't invested in January. I, I absolutely get behind all those things. But it is not something we can just put to one side and say it doesn't matter because I think it does. Yeah, I think... Another thing that you have to sell is you have to sell the idea of your club as an attractive destination for certain players. Sure. Uh, And I think that's certainly another factor there. It's a really tricky one, this. I mean, look, Chelsea play some lovely stuff under Sarri, you know, but they're incredibly (laughs) vulnerable. And and, and I, I think it sort of... I feel a bit bad every time on this podcast I mention Arsene Wenger because it sort of feels like we're kind of looking backwards. But I think it's impossible to Mm. understand the Arsenal fan experience of the present without 
acknowledging him and his influence. And even Arsenal fans who are old enough to remember managers before him yeah. have had essentially two decades of Arsene Wenger at the club. So we are all part of that culture where uh, style was really important and maybe to an extent more important than substance at times. I mean, it did feel like that mm. certainly at points. I am a bit surprised that there's been such a sort of uh, outpouring, is, is maybe too strong a word, but such a groundswell of people saying, oh, I'm unhappy about the, the style of the team, even after positive results, because I feel like in the last few years, there were a lot of people kind of prepared to make that sacrifice. And it feels like there's a bit of revisionism, maybe. You know, it feels like there's a bit of rose-tinted spectacles about yeah. the football we used to play. Uh, it's easy to, this is not criticism of you, but easy to pick out, a, you know, the Wilshire goal or the Rosicki goal. But, oh, there were some other games where we just passed it around and we kept lovely possession, but it yeah. wasn't fun to watch either. And no. I think football can be fun without being possession based I mean I that's completely subjective but there are things that I get joy from watching a team play that aren't necessarily that kind of no, passing game I, I, I agree with you I agree with you and you know um, as somebody who appreciates the fine art of defending yeah. I, I can sort of watch Atletico Madrid for example under um, Diego Simeone and watch them absolutely nullify a team and hit them on the break and score one goal and then defend like their lives depended on it. And I can enjoy that as much as watching brilliant attacking possession football, but you know what it is. You know what that is. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I do know what you mean. And, and I was going to say, you know, I love watching uh, Jurgen Klopp's teams, for example. I find the way that they transition really exciting ex and exhilarating. And I enjoyed... You know, I know Alex Iwobi missed that chance in the second half yesterday, but I loved his run. I loved the way he sprinted from the halfway line. You know, I, I enjoy that athleticism, that quick break. I associate that with the Invincibles as much as the pretty stuff. Mm. Um, but, and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, I, I think that in some ways what we're all talking about is a lack of clarity. You know, it's, it's not the that one way of playing is right and one way of playing is wrong, but it is, we are all desperately trying to find this kind of identity and attach that to the team. And I, you know, I, I completely see that that's very difficult to do at the mm. moment. Um, and I think we can be fun to watch without playing uh, what's, you know, uh, like Harlem Globetrotter stuff, you sure. know? Sure. No, I, I think, think that's realistic. Like, I think we have to be quite realistic about our capacity to do that. At the moment. Yeah. Okay. Look, I think that's fair. And I think we have to take into account the players not available to Unai Emery. And as and when he has everybody available to him, if he goes and plays that way against Huddersfield, then maybe we can have a larger discussion about what it is he's doing and how he's trying to do it. Mm. Uh, you know, it could well be a case that it was it was just the circumstances, the players he had available to him, the players he had to pick, the ones he couldn't pick, you know, played a big part in, in what we did yesterday. But um, look, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. You know, we'll I'm sure see. people who are unhappy about it will be saying... 
well, it's not a game in isolation. We've seen that sort of performance before. And that's, you know, it's one of those where you kind of have to step back and take a longer view. And mm. I fear you have to say, we might not really know the score on this until somewhere into next season. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I think, you know, Summer will tell us a lot and... Uh, and you know how we how we set up at the beginning of next season is going to be very interesting. Of course, what we do during the summer to address some of these issues. But look, will we leave it there for part one? Yes, we'd better. We should, Let's do it. Uh, and we will take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog, at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just a quick dip back into the Sari out uh, hashtag. Mm. Fucking disgrace. One of the worst of the season. Hashtag Sari out. Hashtag Higuain out. Hashtag Giroud out. You can't expect wins what? if we keep on signing failures. Failures? <laughs> <laughs> Why did they turn their fire on Giroud? I can't believe it. Oh that my... I can't accept. No, they've gone too far. They've gone too far. I mean, yeah, I'm just scrolling through. It's, I mean, they're coming in by the second. It's absolutely glorious. Mm. Okay, oh. let's get on with the questions. And this Go is uh, the, the little sorry out uh, amusing thing. Uh, it was perhaps a little antidote to the more serious question that we're going to have now, or the discussion that we're going to have now. Trunks Stan, who's at AFC DOS, says, Thoughts on all the abuse Iwobi and Maitland-Niles got from fans yesterday, particularly the jeering Alex received from the fans when he was subbed off, and the original Dell boy, who's at Del Me J. On Twitter, what is wrong with our fan base? I don't mind bitching about players, but tagging them is something else entirely. Uh, and he says, uh, re A M N Maitland Niles, who, if you didn't see, and I'm sure you did, but maybe some of the listeners didn't, was the recipient of uh, what would you say, abuse slash advice from people mm. on Instagram who said, "Come on, mate, you need to try harder, concentrate more." Because that's how you learn how to play football. Wankers who comment on Instagram, all those uh, guys with all their coaching badges. Uh, and to be fair to Maitland-Niles, he responded, and uh, I think he was maybe a bit sarcastic, but uh, 
it's an interesting thing, isn't it, when a player is... Um, I'm not saying a target, that's the wrong word, but but where you can direct comments directly at a player in the wake of a game, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what the benefits are of social media for many players. I really yeah, am. I, I can't imagine that that's helpful at all. And, I, you know, it's difficult to tell, isn't it, if he's being sarcastic. I suspect he probably is. I'm reminded of Hector Bellerin's comments in his interview at the Oxford Union where he spoke about just listening to his coaches rather than people yeah. on social media. And I hope Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and I'm sure he is, is doing precisely the same. Um, do, but I, do, I do think- you worry maybe that sometimes they see these kind of comments and the abuse and think that it's somehow representative of the majority of fans rather than the special kind of idiot you need to be to, to, to do that to somebody? Well, look, this is not the same at all. But just to use my own experience, you know, we get loads of tweets and comments about the podcast and they are overwhelmingly positive and lovely and we really appreciate them and thank you so much. Mm. But when you do get a bad one, you do notice it. And you probably, it's my nature to notice it more sure. and engage with it more. And I think that... So however, you know, whatever your position, you know, how much money these guys make, however good they may feel about what they're doing, I'm sure they see this stuff and I'm sure it resonates. And I was struck by Alex Iwobi, I think, uh, tweeted a a picture of him scoring his goal yesterday and the caption wasn't something like, delighted to score my goal, Um, you know, what a great day, thanks to all the fans. The caption that he put on it was just the word resilient. And I thought... Are you having to be resilient because you're getting booed off the pitch in a game in which you've scored us the goal that gave us the lead? I mean, that I can't fathom that, mm. and I feel like I, I feel like I am sort of going into bat for a Wobie every week at the moment, and so maybe some people will tune out at this point, and I don't intend that to be the case. But a player, you know, who scored a goal I thought played well was given man of the match by pretty much every dispassionate commentator that I saw comment. TV channel I was watching and I think match of the day mentioned him as man of the match and he's getting booed off by his own fans I don't and, uh, yeah I mean sorry what are you going to say I just don't get that I, do, I don't no. get it either I don't know why he specifically is the target I mean there were some things that he did in the game yesterday which he could have done better no question about that but that's applicable to yeah, look, almost uh, every player on the almost Arsenal. every player on the pitch, and I and I agree with you. And I think, yeah, he should have scored another goal. Uh, there were a couple of crosses that went into touch that mm. weren't the best, but he did score one goal. The second goal, Mkhitaryan's in a great position, played in on the right hand side by Alex Iwobi. It's another one of those, you know, pre-assists that he does week after week after week. Kolasinac and Iwobi was, I think, by far our highest pass combination in the game. It was our main outlet. I just don't understand that. You know, whatever your issue with him, he had, okay, at worst, a decent game. At worst, a decent game. Yeah. And he's getting booed off. And the point that you come on to, and that's if that was any player, I would find that utterly bizarre. But now, take the fact that this is a guy like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who is an academy product. And when I say an academy product, not a Hector Bellerin or a Cesc Fabregas that we pinched off another club. Someone who's been with Arsenal since they were like eight or nine years old. 
I can't understand why the fans would want anything other than for those players to succeed. Yeah. I I, uh, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I really it's, don't. It's... Um, I don't know if it's a concert or a, something to do with modern society. I don't know if it's somehow he has become the lightning rod for for things that are wrong with this team. But, you know, against Huddersfield, who was the guy who picked up the ball and drove towards goal time and time again? It was Iwobi. He didn't get it right all the time. But Jesus Christ, you know, on a day when we didn't play particularly well and when we played with five defenders and two defensive midfielders, we're asking a lot for somebody to be able to link the the disparate parts of our team. And I think Iwobi tried to do that as well as he could. You know, we've spoken about him before. Maybe he shouldn't be starting week in, week out. But that's not his fault. You know, it's not his no. fault that we don't have anybody else to play in the position that he's being asked to play. And we don't have Danny Welbeck. We don't have a, a, a winger or the winger that everybody wants. And I think he's still 22 years of age. I agree with you that he has improved. You said this last week. I think he's improved this season. He's clearly concentrating on improving his game. He's spoken about how he's working with a uh, an individual analyst to try mm-hmm. and make the areas in which he's weaker, better. And he's an Arsenal boy. You know, all it's like... Um, you can't get more Arsenal. You can. You cannot okay. get more Arsenal. And I, I just, you know, Ian Wright did a great video. He's got a YouTube channel. He's tweeted it. Go and check it out where he talks about Alex Awobi and how he can't understand. I think Alan Smith tweeted about it saying, you know, if a player came through in the 80s or 90s and they were an Arsenal player, sometimes they were loved or revered almost in spite of their flaws. You know, it was something that made the fans really take them to heart. And it does sadden me that... That doesn't appear to be the case anymore. I think there are factors with Iwobi that mean he's become a target. I think, unfortunately, he's become sort of caught in the Meza Ozil crossfire. I don't I think, understand that either because they don't play in the same fucking position. It's not as if... They don't play in the same position and it's not, it's not his fault at all. Yeah, and it's not as if like Iwobi's in the team replacing Meza Ozil. He's being asked to do some of the things that Ozil does, but it's not a case of one or the other. You know, down down the last couple of seasons, it's not been a case of like, oh, Iwobi's playing in place of Ozil or Ozil's playing, in, you know, I don't understand that part of it either. I, I saw this tweet, I thought it was really interesting. It was from uh, Talking Arse on Twitter. And it's just a, something I hadn't really thought about before. But he said, we're usually invested in academy players when they break through because of the hype that precedes them. But in Iwobi's case, we're also distracted by the Jeff and he never built up that credit with the fans. It's a pity because the grief he gets is bullshit. I, I think, you know, I don't think that's the factor, but I do wonder if it's part of it. You know, no one was crying out for Iwobi to get promoted to the first team. We sort of didn't really see his promotion coming. And then, it, and, and then all of a sudden he was in the team, yeah. Yeah. And so it wasn't, you know, if Reese Nelson comes back and puts in some sort of mid-level performances, I suspect we'll all be much more patient with him because we're all aboard that hype train. There was no hype train for a while. Mm, that's he, a good point. It is a good point. He's still only 22. I mean, I know people say he's played a lot of football, but 22 is still young. It's the same age. He's eight months younger than Rob Holding. And people are saying, well, Rob Holding, you know, he could kick on, he could really improve, he could be a great first-team defender for Arsenal. I know defenders tend to mature later, but, 
you know, Alex Webby's eight months younger than him, and people are saying he'll never be good enough. He'll never be good enough. Yeah. I, I, I really, really slightly despair at the treatment of a Wobie on a day like yesterday because with Maitland-Niles, look, I don't like what was said about Maitland-Niles. I don't think people should be directly criticising players, like adding them in it and including them in it. No. And get on to that. But I could see how you could look at Maitland-Niles and say he had a mixed game. But with Iwobi, I just thought he had a good game and he's getting booed. It's utterly bizarre. But, yeah, the point about direct criticism, I think, is odd in any in any form, in any sort of slice of life. You know, if someone makes a film and you decide you're going to tweet them directly to tell them you didn't like it, I don't see what yeah. is to be gained from that. No, exactly. What are you doing only trying to, like, boost your own ego in some way when you can just quite easily ignore it or not say anything at all? You know, but the, the, this idea that there's somehow a, a, a culture of being able to tell people exactly what you think of them. Look, it, you know, like you say, we get comments about the podcast and people will, or about what we say or do or write or anything else. And sometimes people will say things uh, which aren't necessarily pleasant or friendly or particularly constructive in any way. And they've got every right to uh, say those things, I suppose. Similarly, we have every right to think, well, fuck you, you know? Mm. And I wonder if footballers, when they get those kind of comments, think, fuck you. And I wouldn't blame them in the slightest if they did. And I do hope that most of them realize or that they realize that the people who think they can offer coaching advice to Ainsley Maitland-Niles on Instagram are not worth fucking listening to, you know? They're yeah. not. I mean, if you say to Ainsley Maitland-Niles uh, in a comment, wasn't your best game, but look, keep it up, keep up the good work, you've got a great future, something like that, okay, you can you can live with that kind of stuff. But, you know... It's, listen, just, it's fine to have an opinion. It's fine to think. Yeah, talk about I, it with I, your mates or talk about exactly. it between yourselves on Twitter talk or Facebook or whatever. Yeah, or on a podcast. Exactly. We can all say, we can sit here and say, we hope Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, his concentration improves and he passes the ball a bit more consistently. I'm not asking to be put in a room with him so I can tell him to his face because yeah. I know I don't, you know, I don't really know what to wear. I'm not a football coach. I'm not working at that level of the game. It's absurd. It's absurd. And I wouldn't dare. If I met Ainsley Maitland-Niles tomorrow, I'd be. Fucking chuff because he's an Arsenal player. And well, so I'd you know be so what? So happy though? to be in his presence. You, you know? know what, though? In fairness, uh, and I've seen evidence of this uh, in the past, where people who have got a big fucking mouth on Twitter and on their videos or whatever, and they'll mouth off about this player and that player, or they'll mouth off about the manager, even the the ex manager that we had, mm. and the mm. minute that they come into personal contact with them, are, are fawning all over them like the hypocrites that they are, mm. you know? So this anonymity or this this feeling that you're safe to say these things online uh, is not reflected in real life because you put them side by side with somebody and they're like, ooh, uh, you know. It's just <laughs> well, fucking, I don't it's want to be quite accused pathetic. I'll be, I'll be filming myself at games next. But, you know, <laughs> I... I, I uh, yeah, I really... I do find this whole area... Um, just a bit sort of upsetting and unnecessary, really. And I I do wonder what it is that there's that disconnect now that players who have come through the club that you feel we should sort of hold closest to our heart, if anything, mm. uh, seem to be the ones singled out for criticism. It's, uh, it's strange. It's really strange. It is. It is. OK, let's move on from this because we've given okay. it um, 
a fair chunk. So uh, uh, you have a go. Next question is: How would you kill Mustafi? No, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's from Revert Chris. It is. It's kind of on the, along those lines. And Revert Chris says: Thoughts about what Emery's short and long-term vision is for Mavropanos, left out of the Europa League squad. Were there not other more suitable players who could have been dismissed and are so far unable to replace the disaster that is Mustafi? Look, you know, we are all invested in the idea of Mavropanos becoming the answer to our central defensive problems. I would be very happy to see him given a go ahead of ahead of Mustafi. Um, but I suppose we I have, have to, to say, just quickly on. on Mustafi... Mustafi was so bad at Huddersfield, it made me feel bad. That, that's how bad it was. Honestly, like, I was watching the game and I was like, I feel guilty because this looks like a player completely mm. bereft of confidence there was a bit trap the ball. There was a bit towards the end of the game where he was looking to play a simple pass out to the right-hand side to Maitland-Niles, I assume, and mm. rather than play it to the feet of the man he hit it into the f- face of a woman in row f-, f in the in the crowd and he just let out this plaintive cry you yeah. could hear it quite clearly it was like ah! and, and and you know when we don't like players i mean it's or when we are frustrated with players i think we probably we'd never give them the benefit of the doubt or mm. think about it from this point of view but he looks like a player whose confidence is completely shot and when you think about it there have been stories God knows where they came from but in the press all week about Mustafi to be transfer listed you know his Arsenal career is essentially over and he looked like a player who read mm. them frankly uh, I think look there are good reasons why that's happened and I think he, if everyone was fit I don't think he would be in the team but it was no. It was painful to watch, I thought. It, it, uh, it was a bit, yeah. yeah. What do you think of leaving Mavropanos out of the Europa League squad then? Because that, to me, that rung a little bit of an alarm bell, just in terms of how Emery sees it. A little bit, but I'm just wondering who else, you know, he could have left out. Elneny's the one that people have said. Yeah, but you can kind of see why Elneny might be useful Versatile, if nothing Versatile, else. yeah. You know, he can play in midfield. Uh, he can play sort of in the in the back three if we if we do that. I mean, yeah. Look, it's. I guess it was a a toss up. If he's chosen El Neni, a player who he doesn't really rate ahead of Mavropanos. I mean, we don't have a great deal of depth in central midfield, do we? We've got Torreira, we've got Genduzi, we've got. Uh, Xhaka, who's injured. Yeah, he doesn't really fancy Ramsey that, there, does he? So. No, he doesn't fancy Ramsey there or or anybody else. I mean, he could use Maitland-Niles, but Maitland-Niles is needed a, as a right-back. True. I suppose we have to just trust what he sees in training, that his decision is based on what he has seen from him. Maybe it's... Uh, still a bit too soon for him. I don't know. I, I thought maybe it would be a good time to uh, to use him in these three games coming up, but at the same time, when you don't have an established right-back and you're asking him to slot in potentially as the right-sided centre-half and maybe he feels like he can't play Mavropanos and Maitland-Niles beside each other. Yeah, which I, I think that could be a factor. I think that could be a factor. So... What does it say about May or Mavropanos in the future? I don't know. I mean, we've 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 got to see him play. We just don't have enough evidence of him on the pitch. 
We yeah. want him to be this thing, but we've got no idea if he is going to be that. He looks the part. He's got the stature, the physicality that you want from a central defender. Uh he was a Sven signing, and Sven brought us Genduzi, and Sven brought us Torreira. So, you know, we're invested in him in that sense. Um, and there is the whole, well, could it be any worse side of things? Sure. I don't know. I mean, I think probably the Europa League is a good time to, to give him a run, to be honest. It, it really surprised me that he wasn't selected for the Europa League squad for exactly that reason you know we could go to Barté fingers crossed and get a good enough result that that second leg you know is a perfect opportunity to give him game time we're talking about a player that we've seen play three times but I think we have to trust the coaching staff in that they see him train every day they know him a lot more than we do and they know exactly what he's capable of at this at this point the worry for me is just that he needs football and I worry about how and when he will get that. Mm. You know, when he first came to the club, he was supposed to go out on loan straight away, wasn't he? Um, to uh, Germany, I think it was all yeah. set up to happen. And we were reportedly buying Johnny Evans. It was, it was around that time. And, and in the end, liked what he saw of Mavropanos and kept him around. And then in the first half of this season, you know, he was injured the whole time. They couldn't have let him go out on loan in January again because we were in the midst of a defensive injury crisis. But without a short-term loan move or something like that, I do mm. just worry You know what the path forward is for him. It, it will take a brave decision to put him in. And even if you put him in now in the Premier League, you've got to take him out for the Europa League so you can't have consistency of selection. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit surprising uh, that he wasn't included. Maybe you could leave out Licksteiner. But he is an experienced player and in European competition, if you're heading towards the final stages, he could be, yeah. you know, he could be a useful candidate. So, um, so there you go. OK, here's a question from Adam at Adam Pembry. Would you give Suarez his first start on Thursday? I saw that. Um, let me let me Suarez? expand that question then just go a on. little bit. What way would you approach the first leg of the Bate borisov tie. Would you go strong away from home or would you send a fringe team away from home and then if it goes wrong, you've got the home leg to turn it around? Uh, let's have a look at the fixture list that will because that will make Because we've decision. got no game next weekend. And so then we've got... Southampton, haven't we, after the home game? Yeah, so it's Bate borisov Away, then Bate Borisov at home. If it were me, if I was making the decision, I think I would go strong on Thursday mm. and try and get a good result and maybe take a, a good lead back to London. And ahead of the Southampton game, I could rest many of my uh, first-team players, have a couple of them on the bench if I needed them, but look to kill it off in the first game and then basically give those first-team players a week off, more or less, ahead of the Southampton game and let them go full throttle at Southampton? I would do the same. I would go strong in the first leg uh, and try and, if not kill the tie, but at least put us in a very strong position. I mean, this question came from Facebook and Mark Haynes and he said, do you expect Suarez to start against Barté? If he doesn't, does it mean he's simply here to add squad depth? And 
I did think it interesting that Mkhitaryan came straight back in, you know, even though he's been injured and out for a long time, mm. ahead of Suarez. I think Suarez will play, will start against Barté, but I think it will be in that second leg, the home game. Uh, I think that's when he'll get his first start. I think the team on Thursday will, you know, be more like what we've been seeing in the Premier League. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I he didn't have a lot to do when he came on uh, against Huddersfield. He didn't have a great deal of impact. I noticed the way he passed the ball. It reminded me of Jack Wilshire. Ah, oh, that's an interesting comparison. Not, I mean, technically, he's obviously very good because he's you know, been a Barcelona player and we know uh, how good they are technically, you know, you're not going to waste the ball. But what he did was wait until the opponent was quite close to him before he popped the ball out to whoever he was giving it to. So that was Mm. quite Wilshire-esque. And that kind of thing can give you a bit of an advantage, you know, if you've got an opponent turning around or going the wrong way. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him start on Thursday, to be honest. But I guess it depends what Unai Emery thinks of the fitness of Mkhitaryan and Iwobi and Aubameyang, of course, and Lacazette. So we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, you know, we need to start giving him some minutes. If we want him to have any kind of impact, we need to start giving him some minutes. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what he can do. He was on a hide into nothing, wasn't he, mm. at the Etihad? And only got a few minutes... Uh, in a period where we didn't really have the ball against Huddersfield so yeah I think he's a player who's all about what he does with the ball so I'm looking forward to seeing him get it mm. um, oh, we had this question we mentioned Mkhitaryan there's from VT Guna who's at Guna City uh, and they say Mickey plays on the front foot drives the team forward produces some great touches he's one of the best at pressing and winning the ball high up he was doing this when everyone called him shit too not just yesterday what did you make of his performance against Huddersfield? Uh, I thought it was all right, you know, considering he'd been out for for so long. It was mid-December, I think, the last time he played was a Carabao yeah. Cup game against Tottenham. And, ow, fuck. Uh, what? I, I, I sliced open the top of my left index finger uh, earlier How? today. Oh, OK, not with, right now. No, okay. not right now, with a bread knife. And I was just sort of uh, scratching my my beard here, which has grown a bit. And one of the hairs of my beard got right into the slice, and it was sore. I so, can see. I can ow. imagine how that. Would anyway, hurt. I thought he, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty good. You know, uh, I'm not necessarily his biggest fan, but I'm glad to have him back. Because, you know, we're, we're short on options at this moment in time. I thought he did press well. He did win the ball back well. He did use it well. Um, he set up Maitland-Niles for the cross for the second goal. Um, I thought he was quite good, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah, so did I. And I think, you know, we, I mean, we've talked enough about Iwobi, but I do think... Emery likes to use Iwobi and Mkhitaryan in tandem, doesn't he? And I think that it sort of helps them both for there to be two players like that rather than just uh, just one. Actually, do you mind if I ask another question? Not at all. You go ahead. From that. Um, I need to find it, unfortunately. Okay, no problem. Uh, where is it? It's basically about... Uh, fielding one striker as opposed to two. It comes from Mark Holmes. He's oh, at yeah. Holmes to 79. And it's kind of two questions in one. He says, if playing one up front makes us better balanced, who would you pick between Lacazette and Aubameyang? So I guess the first question is, do you, do you think it does make us better balanced? Mm. 
Oh, well, uh, we didn't play brilliantly at Huddersfield, did we? So, not the best advert for it. No. Uh, does it, does playing two strikers or one striker make us better balanced? I'm not sure about that part mm. because it depends on the formation. It depends on the system. Depends on the opposition. Depends on a lot depends of things. Yeah. On the other things. Um, and again, who? Who would you pick between Lacazette and Aubameyang? It depends what you want your striker to do. Do you want him to get on the end of pullbacks from the uh, from the fullbacks? If you're going to deliver balls into dangerous areas, then it's going to be Aubameyang. But do you want somebody who can hold the ball up and bring others into play and be a bit more physical? Then it's then it's Lacazette. I'm not sure there's a right answer here. To be honest, I thought Lacazette was really good against Huddersfield. You know, he, he was in great positions. He didn't get the, the balls. That, <laughs> that that bit when El Nenny came in for the header was oh, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I know. I uh, felt for El Nenny a bit. He was very enthusiastic. but He was. I not... can understand why he went for it. But like Lacazette was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And he had a bit of a game like that, Lacazette. You know, there'd been a few misplaced passes towards him and stuff. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, but before his goal, he was getting quite impatient. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I I think I'm of the mind that in this sort of second half of the season, we might revert to seeing one striker start a little bit more frequently and seeing them kind of share the game. You know, mm. we saw that used to quite good effects in the first half of the season. Uh, and I wonder if we, we might see more of that from now Yeah, on. maybe so. I mean, I think there's, a, there's just a simple fatigue issue as well, that if you're playing mm. the same two strikers in every game, week in, week out you run the risk of having them running on empty before the end of the season. Um, and the Europa League restarts now. Yeah. You know, and so that kind of makes no rotation maybe a little bit more of a necessity. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I do wonder, I mean, do we know if Danny Welbeck is close to making a comeback or not? Or I don't know. He's, he's, his social media activity is ramped up a bit. You know, we know he's in the gym. Yeah. Um, we know he's working hard, but he can cycle. We know that much. Well, that's good. On, on a bike. But uh, uh, in my head, when he went down with the injury, when was that, November kind of time? Um, feels like that would be about right. November, uh, October, November. I, I sort of wrote off the idea of him ever playing for Arsenal again. But I guess he's got he's got a chance, hasn't he? If, especially if we go deep into the Europa League. If, if... The 8th of November. And it's now, what, uh, November, okay, December, January. Uh, he's miles away, surely, still, because he had surgery on a broken ankle. So I'm just projecting a bit here. Um, I reckon you're looking at sort of, I mean, I'm completely guessing, but surely at least six months for an injury like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's forget about Danny Welbeck then. What would you, I mean, what would your preference be? Or, you know, where, where are you on this Aubameyang Lacazette if you're only playing one up front? Again, dependent on opposition, I guess. I genuinely think in most games, you could probably get away with starting either. And, you know, doing the old Emery trick of if it's not working, change it. Uh, and if you ask me, I don't know, to sort of, as, a, as a rule, I would say if you're going to only play one, start with Lacazette and bring Aubameyang on in the last 20 minutes where he can absolutely mm. take people apart. I yeah, mean, I mean, know, that's what he did against Fulham, like yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Fulham game. But in fairness, we did start with Welbeck, I think, against Fulham as well. We started so. with Welbeck and Lacazette in the yeah. team. Yeah, um, It's interesting, isn't it, how little football Eddie Nketiah's got, despite Welbeck's injury. 
Yeah, but I I I understand it really. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, I hoped yesterday if we'd had maybe a more substantial lead. Yeah, he might have got a bit of a run out. But. Exactly, but you can't you can't put him on. I think the ideal situation this January would have been for Inkedia to go out on loan, but Welbeck's injury has put paid to that. So. Mm. So there you go. Okay, uh, Pete Bretzlaff, who says, who is your most improved player from last year's squad? He says, as the season progresses, I'm increasingly impressed with Lacazette. I think he has really improved dramatically. Um, I think it's easy to forget that he could look very lightweight, particularly in the first half of last season. He was better after he came back from injury. But his aggression... And his physicality now is on another level. Um, so he would definitely be in contention. Mm. I think I think Hector Bellerin, prior to his injury, had been dramatically improved. Uh, and as we've said, I think I think he has been a lot better. Who yeah. do you think? I think the one that stands out for me was Rob Holding. Oh, yeah. Um because he, let's not forget, he was a bit of a disaster at times last season. I mean, he played in that home leg against Ostersunds, didn't he? And games like that, you know, which were yeah not great adverts for his ability. But he's made huge strides when he was in the team. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the fact that he came in. He didn't really do anything spectacular. You know, it wasn't a case that he was putting in nine out of ten performances every week. But what he was, was he was steady and he was consistent and by virtue of that, he made himself a, a place in our defence. One mm. of the first, one of the first names on the team sheet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you know, and he responded to the trust that Unai Emery had put in him. You know, I think Hector Bellerin definitely is improved. I agree with you about Lacazette. I agree with you about Uwobi. Um I think, in some respects. Going forward, I think Kalasinac has been better, but I think you know mm. it's it's less of a rounded improvement. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. I think Lacazette's a really good shout, to be honest, because he's gone from someone who I genuinely worried if he was kind of one of those league-owned guys who doesn't adapt to English football, you know, who's been a bit of a stat padder yeah. out there, and he has really knuckled down and really kicked on. And I think uh, I think it speaks to his intelligence as a footballer as well. I think he's learnt what he needs to do to flourish here. And he has done it. And he hasn't been, he hasn't allowed the signing of Aubameyang to derail him or see his confidence will. If anything, he's embraced the competition. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think he's a really, really good contender. Okay. All right. Have you got one? Um, <laughs> I think I probably do. Oh, okay. Zach K. Okay. We mentioned him earlier. From Facebook, this is, with Giroud becoming a free agent in the summer. No. <laughs> the question was going to be, would you sign him purely as a backup slash plan B no. to like Ronaldo? No. No, no I we... think, let's treasure the memories we have. We've been let, there. That, let bygones be bygones. We've and done that. We've, we've worn the T-shirt. Uh, okay, I'm going to do one final one here. Uh, this comes from David Shepherd on Facebook, who, who says, if you had to eat one of the following in order for Arsenal to finish in the top four at the expense of Spurs, which would it be? One, a tin of pedigree chum, uncooked. Two, a chicken and prawn sandwich two weeks out of date. Three, a pint of Andrew's or James's vomit. Or four, 
a bowl of peanuts on the bar of a Soho nightclub. I mean, I, I, it's pretty easy, this one. Um, the dog food, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> no. no, I... Uh, yeah, so obviously the peanuts. Yeah. I mean, I, I would do that anyway. If you leave some peanuts somewhere, I'm eating them. I'm eating all of them. I know the stats. I know how many people's urines on it or whatever. Oh, so is, what? is that it, a thing? Is that, Did someone do a study on this? Yes, it's one of those things where, like, you know, if you leave nuts out, the germs that are spread on them is significant. Because, oh, because you know, someone will go, someone will go to the bathroom and have a have a wee and not wash their hands and then come back and eat some peanuts and you've got some some flakes on the peanuts, that kind of stuff, yeah? Exactly. But still but eat to the be peanuts. honest, that's, I just call that seasoning. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's the peanuts. Yeah, exactly. You need some bacteria. Otherwise, you'd just be a sickly person. You have to live in a bubble. One of those, you know, Michael Jackson oxygen. I was going to say like Mesa Ozil, but I thought we'd <laughs> got to do the whole podcast without making it about him. I, I hesitated. Fair uh, play. Well, look, we're eating the peanuts and I will gladly eat those peanuts in order to see uh, Tottenham finish out of the uh, top four. It uh, doesn't look absolutely. likely, unfortunately, but there you and, go. And by the way, I'm absolutely hashtag Sarri in. I can't have another Manchester United situation where they get rid of their disastrous manager and get someone good. No, fucking hell. Okay, hang on. We've got to do one more Sarri out uh, hashtag here. I'm just going yeah. to have a little scroll through. What's the latest? Uh, I mean, a uh, lot of the tweets just say Sarri out, which I like. Uh, okay. A lack of class from a classless Chelsea FC manager, racist rent boy twats. A sore loser, hashtag Sarri is, oh, and hashtag Sarri out is trending. That's not from a Chelsea fan, but... No, I, I, I was going to say, it'd be weird <laughs> if they called their own club racist. Yeah, it would um, be. But yeah, I, th- I'm just scrolling through now. Stupid, useless coach! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What's quite fun is if you put in two terms, like if you put Sarri out and stupid, for example, it's it's not D players, it is D, and he's using the letter D, stupid trophyless passing system. This man, Sarri, has already destroyed Chelsea, removing D counter-attacking football (laughs) and forcing his stupid trophyless system. (laughs) He's employed the trophyless system. What a fucking idiot. I mean, everyone knows you don't employ the trophy-less system. That's- I say again, Sarri out now. He has nothing to offer. He is just a trophy-less coach. I like this one. Final one. What is he writing on his damn notepad? <laughs> Hashtag Sarri out. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, Sarri in. Sarri, Sarri in. The campaign starts All in. the way in. All the way in. Right in. Up to the hilt. That's what I say. Okay. Thank you as ever for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Those of you who didn't, make sure uh, to send us a tweet and tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at us. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Please do. At us and include Iwobi and Maitland Niles in it as well, why don't you? Okay. (laughs) We'll catch you on the next one. Uh, Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.